Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the uh, Ryan D. Leaf Show, everybody, the RDL Show. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the RDL Show and subscribe to the Ryan D. Leaf Show here on YouTube. Listen via podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. So uh, we left you Friday. We just watched a four-pitcher no-no by the Cubs, and we'll get into the recap of that series later in the show. But I wanted to kind of get into – um, Clayton Kershaw, not just him, but the idea of pitchers now versus the 90s, the 80s, whatever. Um, attending the game yesterday, I saw a guy who still um, later on in his years can dial it up. 11 Ks through five innings, ended up with 13 Ks, eight innings pitched, one run earned, uh, get, handed off to Bickford to close it. Uh, as they would win the series versus the Cubs. But what I noticed when they threw up some of his stats, um, yesterday was his 100, 184th win. And I was talking to a few gentlemen sitting behind me around what, like, Hall of Fame or um, or greatness benchmarks are. And when I grew up, uh, it was 300 wins, 3,000 strikeouts. Those were kind of the benchmarks uh, for Hall of Famers, you know, 3,000 hits, if you can get to 3,000 hits uh, on the batter side of things, right? Um, so with Clayton Kershaw kind of winding down the end of his career, seeing that he only has 184 wins, which means he's never getting near 300, made me kind of recontemplate what you view as a great Hall of Fame-esque player nowadays because of all the changes, all the changes in the way they manage the baseball games, managerial changes, right? Um, for an instance, the no-hitter, right? Zach Davies went six innings and then gave way to three relievers over the next innings. Uh, a lot of times managers, because of the analytics and the way they go about managing these days, you are not even allowed to see uh, the lineup for a third time again, because they feel like that's where the percentage is. That's where the data leads you to say that uh, your effectiveness as a pitcher against the lineup goes down. So um, I, I'm on a, I kind of want to ask this question, um, whether or not Clayton Kershaw is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I believe he is. The, dom- the dominating fashion in which he performed at uh, probably for about a decade was unbelievable. Uh, as, as good as anybody who's ever pitched uh, in the major leagues, he was not good in the postseason. I think that has been a bit of an anchor on him. The fact that he won a championship a year ago, I think, has put a little more shine on what that career looks like. Um, so I, what I want to do is I want to ask uh, that question. That will be one you guys can answer. But also the question of the day we're going to get to is which NFL retro uniforms that they're talking about bringing back are you most excited to see which one is your favorite um i love the fact that my favorite team of all time the pittsburgh steelers never has to change and go to a retro uniform because they've always been the same uniform um 
we're watching pitchers now, getting back to the, the Kershaw conversation, watching pitchers now do what they do. Um, they've dominated this year, but they're also not going, the, they're still not pitching in the late innings, right? They are actually uh, leaving way to, giving way to the relievers, and it's been a combination of things. And the Cubs' no-hitter on Thursday night was, was more evidence of that. How do you determine now which pitcher is great if they do not have um, if they do not have the the benchmark stats that we used to collect in terms to hand over what a Hall of Famer should be? That should be uh, Scott. That should be is Clayton Kershaw first ballot Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer. Period. I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think he's has been as dominant as anybody. Um, and there's no way he's not going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, I wonder if he's going to be a first ballot one. I, I feel like he will. Um, let's bring in Sky Glasco here joining me today on the Ryan D. Leaf Show. Um, what he did yesterday was, was I wouldn't say unexpected, because I remember going to the game and I was going with my friend and I told her, you know, it's not, I don't. I don't have a really good feeling about my Cubs today because they're they're going up against Kershaw. And then I looked at Kershaw's record this year. I think he's like eight and seven, um, ERA not 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 incredibly great, you know. But yesterday was one of those performances where he just he made them look foolish. Like I said, out of the first fifteen outs of the game that he that he punched, eleven of them were strikeouts. That's how dominant he was through the first five innings. Uh, he made the Cubs hitters look look absolutely foolish Cubs players didn't even look like they wanted to be out there because he was dealing so well yesterday. And, um, and then the stat was brought up on the big screen there. He has 183 wins. Yesterday was his 184. He, no way he's getting to 300, which was the benchmark we talked about. What do you think about this now, Sky? The, uh, um, how do we determine now the greatness of a pitcher when those stats that we grew up on are no longer achievable for these types of players? Well, that's that's absolutely the case. There's no chance a pitcher anymore is going to get to 300 wins, uh, and certainly not strikeouts or you know complete games and anything like that. Because the longevity of how these guys pitch nowadays with pitch counts and everything else is just so far less. And um, I was scanning through, and we can go through the Clayton Kershaw conversation, Ryan, if you want. First ballot Hall of Famer, not and get my re- reaction now, or we can do it later. Either way, but. Uh, very interesting when you look it up because a lot of relievers, like you know, that come in middle of the game or end of the game, have similar stats to Kershaw. But he's been a starter his entire career. It, baseball is just different than it was in the '90s. Guys in the '90s, I mean, guys at Roger Clemens, Randy Johnson, you know, Andy Pettit. I mean, these Don, Greg Maddox, Smoltz, all these guys were dominating seven, eight innings yep. night, nightly. I mean, it was it was shocking. They did they did what Kershaw did yesterday. Exactly. Yeah. Right, but but it's it's interesting that today in 2021, you know, Kershaw goes six, seven, eight innings, and you're just like, wow, unbelievable right. performance. I mean, just 10 years ago, it was almost more shocking that a starting pitcher of their caliber, obviously, first or second rotation, would be bumped in the fifth or sixth inning. I mean, that was a bad night, right? I mean, it took five, six runs to get a guy booted in the fifth inning. Nowadays, I mean, you give up three or four in, in an inning, and you're gone in the third, you know, or you – just have a long inning, you have a couple walks, you throw, let's say it's usually about 15, 20 pitches is too much for an inning for a pitcher. So you get up to 80 pitches by the fourth inning just for whatever circumstance, you're usually not going to make it to the fifth. 
Then it comes into play with the hitting as well. Kershaw's in the National League. He can actually handle the bat pretty well himself personally, but these National League hitters or pitchers, I should say, have to also bat for themselves, and a lot of them can't hit. So then it comes like, well, do we want to kill a, uh, um, a, a batting position right now with the lineup turning back over, or has Kershaw given us enough for tonight? We'll shut him down. We'll give it over to the bullpen, and we'll see what happens. Luckily for the Dodgers, he's dominant and he played very well. And they obviously bounced back in the series after getting no hit and then winning three in a row. Uh, the Dodgers needed this big time. They have a huge series coming up with the Giants next. But um, it is interesting when you recap even just 10 years ago, but, you know, 2030, but, you know, 90s and, and 2000s, a lot of guys you and I grew up with, you know, 80s to the 2000s who are Hall of Famers and kind of that legendary status we got to see. It's just a different game now. It is. It is just a, a different game. And, uh, and I, I don't I don't understand it. I don't see the data in front of me. Clearly, uh, these managers uh, and the front offices have uh, analytic teams and data in front of them. And they make decisions that are I mean, I look at I look at the World Series decision and and removing Snell in that game. I thought it was an asinine decision. It went with their analytics. It cost them the World Series, I believe. And, uh, and I've, and I've been to a few games this year and I've watched it happen too. I mean, yesterday the Dodger or the Cubs allowed one hit, he allowed one hit. It was a grand slam home run and they were down four, nothing, one hit, four runs. He walked two and hit a batter. So he clearly didn't have his stuff. Um, that was through, uh, he gave up another home run to Cody Bellinger who has hit two now on the back-to-back days which gives him three for the year. His, his bat's starting to get hot, which L.A. Dodgers fans have to be pretty, pretty excited about there. Um, and, uh, and he allowed six runs in the, in the second inning. And I really thought they were going to pull him. You know, I really thought they were going to pull him. They let him bat in the third, and he came back in the third, and he, and he had a rocky, rocky left guy on first and third, but he got out of the inning. So they were down 6 nothing. He got pulled after three innings, their starting, their starting pitcher. So – um, it's, it's kind of exactly what you were talking about in terms of, you know, this is, this is how it's going to be. And there's going to have to be new benchmarks that are set to determine what we consider greatness at the pitching position. Now, like DeGrom, what he's doing, the ERA was a 0.68 right now. Yeah. Um, it's unfair. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. It's, yeah, unbelievable. it's, it's literally, lit- literally the best in 50 years. I mean, yeah. no, no question. I mean, by far. And unfortunately, he plays for the Mets, right? I mean, I love – it's like it's like Mike Trout and Otani on the uh, Angels. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'd love to see you guys in pennant races. I'd love to see you in the postseason. Mm-hmm. But it's just never happening, right, yep. because of who they play for. And it's unfortunate. A big uh, a big, a big uh, point on DeGrom as well, Ryan. I think that's a great name you put up in his dominance currently and frankly the last couple of years. I mean, he's been very good for a long time. A, he can't stay healthy. That's just a problem. Um, B, uh, he's 29. He didn't really become Jacob DeGrom that we all know until he was like 27. Kershaw has been good for a decade. You know, yeah. again, I, I think the, the numbers are different when you go apples to apples on wins and losses and, and who's in the hall of fame pitchers and what Kershaw has, you're going to see some discrepancies because the games are different, but You'd mentioned pre-show. Kershaw has been the most, I would argue, over 10 years uh, with guys like, um, uh, you know, Scherzer for sure, um, you know, and other pitchers as well, who have been dominant for five, six, seven years consecutively. 
DeGrom Max, is very, Max Scherzer was kind of like DeGrom a little bit later in his career, right? He did, he, but he, he's he, got he did. he's now got the resume though to back it up. If DeGrom carries us over for the next five, six years, then we could start talking about it. I just think who, it's uh, little, you who's know? the closest to 300 wins, uh, current active player? Do we know? Pitcher? I will, I'll find it right now because I'm actually curious. That, that, yeah. That's interesting to see and to see how far away from that is. Um, yeah, and I'm and who the go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I'm. I'm going to guess it's not close. <laughs> Honestly, I'll look. I'll look it and up. I, and I want who was the last 300 winner? I wonder too. That's a good one too. Those are good questions. We have a full. I mean, who would have thought that this show would have uh, in the in the dead of summer would turn into a, a baseball theatrics? I love it. You know um, me. I'm all about it. <laughs> I know you are. Um, so okay, well let's since we're here and we're talking about the game. Let's talk about the series. Last time I left you guys was before the four, before the Friday night um, game between the Cubs and the Dodgers. Uh, the no-no had just happened. We were uh, very excited about it. Um, I showed up Friday night uh, looking for something similar, and it was. It was pretty good. It was uh, two to one Dodgers getting late in the game. Uh, the Cubs found a way to scratch a, a run across the plate to tie it up 2-2. Uh, and then in the bottom of the eighth, uh, again, here's you're talking about where they were pitching at Arietta, uh through very well, um, must have got to his pitch count. They pulled him. They brought in a reliever. A reliever gave up two giant bombs to Pollock and then to um, Max Muncy. And the, the Cubs then lose 6-2 to because they weren't able to rally and get any runs. So I walk away disappointed, but I go, hey, it's 1-1, the no-hitter overshadows the the loss we'll see what happens on saturday it's a late day game on fox uh right out the gate dodgers score it's two nothing um and then the cubs battle back throughout the game like like david ross coach teams do they just they continue to battle not a lot of scoring if i were a cubs fan out there i would be a little bit worried with the lack of firepower on the offense but i think that's kind of been the case all year long throughout the league right that's why that's why these pitchers are getting uh you know, checked when they walk up the field all the time because pitching has been dominant this season. Um, they tied it up 2-2. Uh, we walk into the bottom of the ninth. Two outs, Bellinger, pinch hits, uh, didn't start the game. Uh, has only one home run on the year. His back injury has kept him out most of the season. Uh, he gets a, uh, a slider that doesn't quite slide far enough outside the plate, and he hits a bomb to center field with two outs in the ninth for a walk-off. The Dodgers win three to two. I go home with my hand, head between my uh, legs once again. <laughs> but I, I have hope. I have hope. All right. I, uh, uh, I get to the ballpark early yesterday. I get down on the field there. I, I talk to, I talk to uh, my buddy Jock Peterson, who's now with the, with the, uh, with the Cubs, was with the Dodgers for the last few years. Breakfast uh, buddy of mine uh, in Studio City at Jones on Third uh, every Sunday morning for for a few years there, um, and then I talked to David Ross. Uh, just asked him about how things are going, what he's gonna, what he expects. What I was really impressed with was what he does with Chris Bryant. I don't know if you've noticed this this year, but Chris started at third base on Thursday night, started in left field on Friday night, he started in left field on Saturday. And then he started in right field on Sunday. Dude is uh, diversified. He could play, he play yeah. first base too. Yes, he's diverse. He can play all over the all over the diamond. Uh, he kind of cooled down. Um, 
you know, Hayward had the best series of them all. And for some reason, uh, Coach Ross kept him out of the lineup on Sunday. Well, anyway, uh, they threw a pitcher that uh, didn't have much, um, just, just had a bad outing, just had a flat out bad outing. Uh, gave up a, uh, he walked to hit a batter, loaded the bases in the first, uh, and then, um, and then Lux hit a grand slam home run to uh, re really put it out of play because they would tack on three more and they win seven to one uh, over, over my Cubs and uh, would lose the series three to one. So Cubs head back. They play Milwaukee who were there battling for the first place position, the Dodgers now. And I want to hear more from you about this series head to San Francisco to take on the Giants now. Talk to me about this series a little bit and how important. I mean, they are what? They're still four games back, or they are they did they gain one with those? Yeah, games four. Yeah, four four and a half. Them and the Padres. Yep. So the the Giants and Dodgers face off for the best record in the National League. So not only are they looking for the National League West, the division that they share with the Padres, but the Giants and the Dodgers currently and the Padres actually the three teams in the National League West have the three best records in the National League overall. So the Dodgers have some ground to make up. But if the Dodgers get a sweep, they could could tie the Giants, and then they could be looking at, at the best record there. Um, just a couple stats on the bottom here. Last 10 games, Dodgers 6-4. and four, The Giants are 8-2. and two. Um, The Dodgers have outscored their opponents by 10 runs in the last 10 games. The Giants have outscored their opponents by 27. As a, as a lifelong Giants fan, Ryan, I have to say, I don't think one time since Barry Bonds is retired – have I thought of the Giants lineup as an offensive powerhouse? It's always pitching. It's always small ball. It's always stealing bags, hitting doubles, a couple of pops. They're crushing the ball this year. Uh, the Dodgers are 10 and 11 against the NL West. So are the Giants. And both teams are leading in average and third in average as well in the National League. So uh, Max Muncy and Buster Posey are the two studs for each team. So Speaking of Max Muncy, okay, I was sitting on the first baseline. The last and uh, and this baseball is a don't judge a book by its cover. That's that's baseball <laughs> yeah. because guess what? Mookie Betts does not look like no. an MVP. He's tiny. He's but he's he's incredibly athletic. But he he hits for power. He hits uh, for average. I mean, and then you look at Max Muncy and he, Max. You know, Max looks like a nineteen eighties um, yeah. first baseman. He just yeah. does. Kind of roly poly. John Crook, best best on base percentage right in the majors at four hundred seven, uh, hitting bombs, leading that team, and then Albert Pujols takes over for him. And I mean, Albert really looks like uh, your beer league's first baseman. He does right <laughs> now. He really does. But he's helping these guys out a ton in the batting cage, in the dugout, with his experience, talking about what he's seeing from pitchers. He's one of the best hitters of all time, right? Over three thousand hits. That's one of those benchmarks we talk about. He'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer because of that. Oh, yeah. Um, never won a championship. Did he win a championship with St. Louis? Yes. I don't think. Okay, good. Okay, good. Good. I'll take that back. All right. Um, I'm excited for this series. I'm excited for the Cubs-Brewers series. Um, I'm excited for this week because um, after eating about 20 Dodger dogs and <laughs> 20 nachos and peanuts, uh, I'm back on the Sunfair diet today, everybody. This morning was amazing. Yam pancakes with chicken uh, chicken sausage. Really good. Lunch poached shrimp salad. So good. Dinner, Kobe beef burger. Oh, and the snack this afternoon, uh, a pistachio 
um, bar. It's oh, so good. So Sunfair, personalized delivered healthy meals. Go to sunfair.com, uh, fill in your information, check sales representative Carl Farrell and select the Ryan D. Lee show. You'll get 10% off your first delivery to your home. If you're in the Los Angeles and Phoenix area and our friend Jonathan Rifkin, who was on the show most of the time, sent us the, um, uh, the data that most of our viewers are from the Los Angeles area. Therefore, all of you should be ordering Sunfair and getting on the right track. It's been all about the food. I'm coming up on one year here, guys. July 3rd is when I started, 2020. I can't believe it's been a year. It took me about six months to get to um, my optimal weight. And for the last six months, I've maintained between 225 and 235 simply because of what I'm eating now. Go to sunfair.com and change your life for the better today. All right. NBA playoffs. Since we last left you, the Clippers found a way to come back. The Bucks got embarrassed in the first game. Since then, the Suns come back and win. DeAndre Ayton has become a force in this playoffs and is going to be a force down the stretch when you have to go up against the likes of probably the Milwaukee Bucks, who are very long and tall. And then the Bucks simply just explode all over Atlanta in game two and then make an unbelievable comeback. Middleton played, played great last night. They get the win. They go up 2-1 on the Hawks, and the Suns have a chance to close it out, I believe, tonight, right, yeah. um, if I recall correctly. So the Suns could have a, a pretty good wait uh, for the finals to get rested up uh, and have a chance at their first championship ever, um, their first run to the finals since that 1993 run with Sir Charles and that crew. Yeah, and and once again, the Suns have an optimal opportunity right here to win this game and sit for a while. And I, I think the Hawks have one or two more in them. I do. Um, they're a gritty team. I, I think the Bucks probably take them at this point, two to one. But the Hawks got that first one in Milwaukee. We know they're not going to back down. If Trey Young can stay hot, the Hawks have a chance. I think they steal another game or two and this, make this a series. So if the Suns can just clinch it, uh, then they get to sit for another handful of days. And again, we said this every series. It is prime right now to get extra rest and sit these guys. And having your boy Chris Paul come back, man, has just been – I mean, the story on and off the, you know, the court when he's around. When he's not around, he's the story because he's not around, but they're still getting wins. When he's around, more and more people, Ryan, are a month late to the party uh, that you were trying to invite people to. But all of a sudden, the big talking heads on the major networks are all of a sudden like, you know, maybe Chris Paul should have won the MVP. Ah, <laughs> and ah. I'm just sitting there like, hmm. Hmm. So who was saying that? Yeah. Chris Chris Paul, Chris Paul has been phenomenal, Uh, but you're right. It's, it's not just Chris Paul. It's the entire team. Uh, Booker's been great. Aiden's been great. So the Clippers, I think are in trouble, but again, we've seen them go down Oh two in every series and battle back again. I don't think they win the series, but they could have another game in them as well. And then the bucks and the Hawks, man, it's just, I just think if Giannis can make a free throw, the bucks are, are going to smash. I just think that, uh, you know they got an opportunity at home in the valley to 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 close it out tonight. Um, Suns and five uh, sounds good <laughs> for those uh, Suns fans out there. Um, that's going to be for some uh, entertaining uh, news cycles if Chris Paul 
finally gets to a finals after playing for such great teams with such great players. Um, he's been kind of the catalyst, yep. uh, the straw that has stirred the drink and made those guys better. DeAndre Ayton uh, had an unbelievable quote the other night talking about how he's been uh, somebody who has influenced him greatly, made him a better player, influenced him a ton, and felt like a big brother that he needed in this league. Because DeAndre Ayton, though, has been good in his first couple of years, uh, what we're seeing right now, uh, influenced by Chris Paul, is what made him the number one overall draft pick a few years back. So uh, excited for that Suns team. That's what we got with the NBA playoffs. We'll see if the if the if the Bucks can continue to put the hammer down. I like I like your thought process here too. I think the Hawks might figure out a way. Trey Young gets hot. That team just gets hot. They figure out a way to win a game, go back and forth. Ultimately, the Bucks, I think, with their length and their defense, um, get to the finals and take on the Phoenix Suns. All right, staying in the basketball world. Um, uh, the Blazers, uh, after moving on from their head coach, have decided to go with Chauncey Billups. Chauncey, the Clippers assistant and former Colorado Buffalo, who went on to a stellar NBA career winning a title with the Detroit Pistons, um, and will become the next Portland Trail Blazers head coach. Terry Schott's fired after, uh, Scott's fired after uh, a 22-40 and 40 playoff record. They were getting to the playoffs every year. Lost in round five, eight, round five out of eight chances. All right. Uh, Stotts was well-liked, um, but there needed to be a change. Damian Lillard needs to get past, uh, needs an opportunity at a title. He plays too well. He's too well uh, received, and they got to find a way to get uh, probably another star player to come there somehow. Yeah. I just don't know if that's a possibility. Chauncey Billups, former player, um, gets the job. Uh, Becky Hammond was up for it, um, would have been the first female head coach in NBA history. Um, interesting enough, an insider who talked about the coaching search and the interview process and the vetting came back with some, some, some great positives about Hammond, but there was also some things uh, on the day-to-day -day that they didn't think maybe she could handle as a head coach yet. Um, and that's why she may have not gotten the job where Chauncey Billups will get his first head coaching experience uh, in Portland. Fair enough. I, uh, I've i been kind of, um, I wouldn't say pounding the table because we hadn't talked about that particular situation too much on the show. Uh, but in passing, I had been kind of, you know, I live in Eugene. I'm two hours south of Portland. I live right. in Blazers country. And this is all the local sports talk radio, as you can imagine, for the last couple of weeks. So it's been relentless up here. Um, I've been, I've been. Team Becky Hammond the entire time, frankly. Uh, first of all, hell of a player. I think comes the biggest thing, in, in my opinion, and nothing against Chauncey Billups as a player. Obviously, he's got some off-the-court issues resurfacing from 1997. We'll see how those allegations settle before we talk about them too much. But Becky Hammond has been coaching under Greg Popovich for years in the Spurs. And the Spurs are no longer the Spurs that we remember from the old and golden days. But – for 20 plus years, they were, you know, kind of the, uh, the quiet, you know, the, the quiet staple of the NBA and uh, Greg Popovich has been there for years. So maybe she's not ready yet. And I respect, you know, people that make those decisions. Uh, but I think when she gets a chance, she will be a head coach someday. And I think a team will be fortunate to have her. I think she would have been very well received in a city like Portland, um, a very uh, open and diverse uh, city. So having the first, you know, 
female head coach in the NBA. I think it would have been received very well in Portland uh, personally. Um, but it is what it is. Chauncey Billups comes in. I loved him with the uh, Pistons teams back in the day. Um, and uh, he had a nice run there with the Nuggets at the end as well. So Terry Stotts, you're right. I mean, great clubhouse guy. I mean, he's he's one of these classic head coaches that maybe stuck around a little bit too long because people just like the guy, and that's good. That's a good trait to have, but couldn't get it done, unfortunately. As you mentioned, lost in the first round five out of eight seasons. Well, so I don't think I really don't think I and I don't think it had much to do with him, to be honest. They no, just, no. They put a roster together, you know. No, me neither. Me neither. And unfortunately, you know, um, they just couldn't get over the hook. I mean, Damian Lillard, I think personally is a top five shooter in the league, but they haven't been able to have a quality big this entire time. They don't have steady defense. CJ McCollum's a fun number two, but he's not amazing every night. He's very hot and cold, and they don't have much of a bench. They they just haven't. Carmelo Anthony has been super fun the last two years, kind of resurrecting his career. But again, he's pretty much three three point shooter or bust, and that's just not enough to get through the West. The the West is is very very thick as we know. So. Um, Terry Stotts out, Chauncey Billups in. Um, let's hope you know things come back clean uh, on his side. But I think it's a good, fresh situation for the Blazers, and I think they're a solid big. Nurchich isn't the one. A solid big depth and um, another piece with CJ. That's McCullum a lot, and uh, it is. But it is. But Nurchich could I think could be fine. CJ McCollum might have to go to bring somebody else in. Um, for Damian Lillard, but either way, they're going to need more help. They've, they've tried this roster for a couple of years and they're just not able to get, get deep in the playoffs. No, they haven't. All right. Um, questions of the day. We have two questions of the day, everybody. First off, uh, which NFL retro uniform is your favorite? Um, that's, uh, that's going to be a good conversation here at the end of the show. We've already had some interaction from some of our um, viewers um, Eric Davidson and Bill Powell chiming in. We'll get to you guys' answers here towards the end of the show. And the second question, uh, something we started with with the Open, Clayton Kershaw, with the performance yesterday, uh, looking at some of his statistics, is Clayton Kershaw a first ballot Hall of Famer? That is the questions of the day uh, you guys have at it. All right, speaking of pitchers, uh, I was witness to the inspections coming off the mound by a lot of pitchers uh, over the weekend. Uh, the fans booted, even though it – Every, every pitcher, when they come out of the game now, pretty much gets, gets inspected, you know, and it's so, – so having said that, how, how terrible is it that Hector Santiago of the Mariners gets busted for a foreign substance when you know – you know this is – like this has been an emphasis been placed on umpires – how do you get, how do you get busted for this now? What I mean, you were so reliant on the substance to be a, a, a impactful pitcher that you just you couldn't walk out to the mound without it. I guess. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? All right, couple things I want to digest here. Um, first of all, we're starting with Hector Santiago. Uh, so his claim, and of course, ninety nine percent of people that get busted for something deny it. So I'm not saying he's right or he's wrong, but technically, this is still ambiguous. The the front office is deciding whether the sticky substance. Uh, was illegal or what he claims was it was just spit and rosin. I mentioned this on Friday's show. I did that when I was in Little League. I mean, that's just the thing pitchers do. It's what you have. It's dirt, spit, rosin, sweat. It, it's what you got. The difference is if it was some of this other stuff, sport tack and sticky stuff that, that is illegal now. So the league office is deciding whether that was uh, the case or not. He was ejected. 
from the game mid mid inning because they uh, found the substance and deemed it illegal on the field. Um, if he is caught and this is illegal substance, he's suspended for 10 games, 10 games, which is a lot for a relief pitcher. For a starting pitcher, that's maybe two appearances. For a relief right. pitcher, that guy could pitch seven times in ten games. I mean, that's that's yeah. a big miss uh, for him if it's found illegal. Okay, so Ryan, then I had a question to you. Uh, I haven't had a chance to get to a ball game yet since this has gotten in. Um, I've been mentioning the minor league squad that I go see here locally, but they don't have it at that level. So Ryan, you're seeing this in person. Um, you went to four games over the weekend. You saw this constantly. Um, did you feel as a fan of baseball in the flow of the game, whenever it was early, middle, late of the game, mid inning, after inning, before inning, whatever, did you feel as a fan that this was, um, stalling the game? Uh, was this, was this kind of, uh, hindering your experience as a fan? Was it kind of like, man, another one, like this guy already pitched three innings. And I guess before you reply, what kind of ruffles my feathers a little bit when I watch games with this now? Is this not like, why don't you just check a dude? He come a pitcher comes out during commercial break, folks. If you don't go to baseball games during commercial break, the pitcher's throwing five warm-up pitches every single inning. Go out and see him after his third pitch. You know, strip him down, do whatever you got to do, figure it out, and then move on. Some of these guys pitch two innings, two outs, and then they check him after the fact. It just seems so weird, the timing of it. I'm not against doing it, but the timing of it is frustrating to me because the the flow of the game uh, and for the players, I think, is getting thrown off. What did you think as a, a fan over the weekend and multiple occurrences? Uh, every time they checked a pitcher uh, in, in in Los Angeles, the week was after they were after they were leaving their performance. Okay, uh, they were done. So they were bringing in another reliever. It, so there was no there was no flow. Um, um, it didn't affect the flow at all. It, you know, you could tell when it was happening because the home crowd would boo when they check a Dodgers pitcher. It was after they got pulled. They were walking off just before they crossed the line. The umpire would ask them. They'd give them the hat, the glove, you know, they'd show their belt and their hands and everything like that. And the umpire would give them back his hat and glove and, and on the on the way they went while the reliever came in to throw up throw in his warm-up pitches. So it didn't affect the flow of the game at all uh, from where I was sitting, um, the four games I attended. Um, in fact, it if it weren't for the fans booing, I, I doubt I would even have noticed it was happening. Okay. So they weren't so they weren't going out mid at bat, which we've seen early in this process. First couple games they did this, they were going yeah. know, mid mid inning. It was it was it's all crazy. it was all after they were exiting the game. Like when Clayton that, that's Kershaw more when Clayton Kershaw was finishing uh when he struck out his last batter walking off after the eighth inning, they checked his uh glove. They they did a, his inspection as he was walking off and they were the sides were exchanging, exchanging the field. So now another thing too, which is interesting, and we've gone back and forth about this uh, four four pitcher no hitter, Madison Bumgarner seven inning no hitter conversations. Okay, they 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 check Kershaw after the fact, like in the eighth inning, he's basically done for the day, and he's dominated, absolutely dominated the whole the whole game. Now let's just say hypothetically, which they didn't, but hypothetically they catch something on his glove as bad as help or buckle as help, whatever. Now, in your uh, in your opinion, Ryan, um, what should happen at that point? He's going to get ejected, but I'm just saying in general because this is going to happen. A guy is going to pitch 
five, six, seven, eight innings like Kershaw did, do well. At the end of the game, they're going to check him. Someone's going to come up dirty. Now, do you like erase the 13 Ks from his resume? No, it's just, it's resume? just, it's just like, it's just, it out? it's just like, no, it's just like a guy that corked his bat for, for a season, you know, and didn't get found out to the 50th game or something like that, you know? You, you, just the way it is. Statistics aren't going to go away. You still got to hit the. You still got to hit the baseball. May made it easier a little bit. You still got to throw strikes. You know, it's it, it, people talk about like this is something new in baseball. People have been trying to cheat and get an advantage in baseball ever since the inception of baseball. Okay, it's always going to be there. And I did not for one moment uh, not enjoy the four days of baseball I got to see, except for the fact that the Cubs lost three of them. That's my that was my only walk away uh, disappointment in any of it. I. You know, I was okay with 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 great pitching. Uh, when they did hit, it was it's it's so strange to me. Like it's like Major League Baseball is no longer small, small ball where you no. hit doubles and you knock no. people in. It's you strike out fifteen times in the at the club and you hit three home runs in the game. And that's your those are your those are your runs batted in. You hit bombs. You either hit bombs or you strike out. It almost seems like so. Um, it's it's incredibly interesting. No one's bat. No one, either one of those rosters is batting over three hundred. Terrible, right? So it's terrible. It's, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Justin. That's, that's Justin. Justin Turner is is incredibly good, and he's at like two ninety seven. Um, and I think he went three for three for four yesterday. So he's having a heck of a year. Um, and he's a great hitter. He's always been a great hitter. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a different kind of baseball. I still enjoyed uh, going to the ballpark. Uh, eating a bunch of uh, junk food and and watching baseball in the sun. I, I just it was it was a nice four days. I look forward to doing it again next year. I missed it greatly in 2020 when they did not allow fans in the stands. All right, uh, moving on. Uh, I uh, I snuck in a cold athletic brew to the stadium uh, uh, yesterday, so I had a nice non-alcoholic beverage, cold beer on a hot Sunday afternoon uh, in in, uh, in Los Angeles. Brew without compromise, everybody. Athleticbrew.com. Go there and you'll get 10% off your first delivery of a couple six-packs. Try it now. Try this great-tasting, less-filling, non-alcoholic beer without any of the consequences. All right. Continue on the baseball conversation. Uh, a couple young superstars that have really just jumped on the scene the last couple of years and this year really making a name for themselves. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, and Fernando Tatis. Uh, both guys are of the millennial uh, generation uh, and play baseball at a different um, level. Let's just say right now, it's uh, what people like to see and um your thoughts on the next generation? We're watching it kind of take place in the NBA right now in terms of what is coming next. These are going to be the names that we talk about for the foreseeable future, and they're not, uh, you know, they're, they're playing for the Padres. They're playing for the Blue Jays, right? It's not a what you would consider a blue blood uh, team in the Major League Baseball system. Um, talk about both of those players uh, and what you've seen from them so far earlier in their careers. So a couple things uh, for not – uh, maybe baseball fans out there. So both of these guys, uh, both these guys' dads were uh, big time players. Obviously, Vladimir Guerrero more so. 
than Fernando Tatis Sr. But um, Fernando Tatis for the Cardinals hit two grand slams in one inning. And uh, Vlad- Vladimir Guerrero is one of the, just the sweetest swings ever. Never wore batting gloves. Uh, he hit every single ball, too. So, I mean, half the home runs he hit were balls that almost bounced or they were up by his eyeballs or whatever. Just incredible baseball player. He's still hitting jacks, Ryan, in their home country at 52 years old, just in case you're curious. Um, so, Vladdy Jr., playing for the Blue Jays, batting average third in the major league with batting average. He leads the major leagues today with 26 home runs, and he's first in runs batted in. RBIs with 66. Fernando Tatis Jr. is second with 25 home runs, and he is fifth with 55 runs batted in as well. And Shohei Otani, of course, in the mix as well on those. What's interesting about both these guys is, you're right, they are absolutely this generation's uh, two of, and there's a few guys, but two of this generation's superstars that, barring injury, should be very, very good for 10 years at least. Um, Hopefully 15 because it's baseball and you can have long careers, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Oddly enough, both of these guys were invited to the home run derby coming up in July, but they both opted out of the home run derby. Now, I'm old enough to remember when Ken Griffey Jr. was, you know, at, at the, the peak, right? Backwards hat at the home run derby, hitting bombs constantly. And it was almost unfathomable that somebody would be invited and not go. You get invited, you go. It's a fun thing. It's it's like the Pro Bowl or whatever, right? Like, it's an all-star game. Why, why do you think that is? So... Now we go with the pitcher analytics and all this stuff. Many, too many, and I don't have the stats for this right now, but it is something that I'm just kind of curious. Maybe I'll bring it up some other show. Too many swings. Too many hitters who have been amazing in the first half of the season. That's why they get invited to the home run derby. Hit, you know, they they swing an extra 100, 150 swings or whatever throughout the tournament. If they go to the end, they come out in the second half of the season and they just don't have the mustard left on their bat for whatever reason. You could blame it on swings, maybe an injury during the derby, um, eyesight's off. Maybe they're, you know, they're throwing, you know, 78 mile an hour fastballs so that they hit home runs on purpose. So maybe their timing is off now with their eye or something. There's a lot of different research that has come out on this, but too many hitters, great hitters, have been dominant for the first half of the season, go to the derby, come out of the derby, and are no longer dominant. Sometimes not even good, and they just completely fade out. So as a couple years ago, like Ryan, you know, in football, some players now opt out of the Pro Bowl for whatever reason. And now in the home run derby, players play the all-star game. But in the home run derby, they have opted out. And I think a lot of people are worried about their swing. It's not the same swing. You know, it's like um, it's not softball to baseball. But when you get out of playing baseball your whole career for 15, 18 years, and you start playing. Yeah, but it's the, same as, softball, it's the same as BP. It is, but I think it's it's so much it's so much more. And BP, you get out there, you hit your 10, 15 hacks, and you're done. If you keep going, I mean, these guys have 50, 60, 80 swings if they go all the way to the end there. And Pete Alonzo, who won the thing two years ago, of course, last year was canceled, but two years ago, Pete Alonzo won it. Vlad Jr. had won less than him and came out and was like, he won the thing and was like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to do that again. He is going to this year, but Vlad Jr., who came up one short of winning the whole thing, has opted out. So, Unfortunately, again, this is another thing for baseball as a fan's reaction that two of, I mean, if I'm a nine-year-old kid obsessed with baseball, which I was, you know, almost 30 years ago, these are the two guys I'm watching the game for. I'm watching the home run derby for, and they're not going to be in it. And that's unfortunately um, a red X on, on baseball for whatever reason they're deciding to opt out.
Well, um, we need somebody to spice it up. It's going to be Otani, I think, who absolutely hit a, who who dragged bunch for a hit last night. Uh, <laughs> so and, awesome! Uh, so awesome! Steals bases, pitches, and hits bombs. He has spiced it up like nobody's business. Kind of like our sponsor, Bomb Banana, spices it up. Seekthespice.com. Banana based, not to be confused. Banana flavored hot sauce. Everybody, put it on your uh, put it on your bland food. Put it on any kind of food. I I, I put it on a lot of my breakfast. Uh, it's it's incredibly good. You have two versions. You have one that's more of the mild in the white labeled bottle, and then in the red labeled bottle, they call it the movie movie, a little more spicy. Go to seekthespice.com. That's seekthespice.com, all one word. And today you can receive 10% off your first order by using the promo code LEAF, L-E-A-F, like on a tree, at checkout. Bomb Banana Hot Sauce, everybody. Check it out. All how, right. How is Bomb Banana on a Dodger dog, Ryan? I have not had Bomb Banana on a Dodger dog. I We did bring a couple Dodger dogs home last night, but um, not last night, but Saturday night. I went with my trainer, and she brought a couple back for some some friends of hers. Um, if she would have given me one of them, I probably would have tried a little Bomb yeah. Banana hot sauce. We'll have to try that for science on the show soon. Yes. All, it's all, all, in, all about science. All right. Uh, before we get out of here, guys, let's uh, let's get to the questions of the day and talk to you a little bit about what your answers were. First, Retro uniforms, all right? The NFL, and this is a discussion, right? Which NFL retro uniform from helmet to uniform is your favorite? Um, now, this, the reason why this had gone away is because the NFL, in terms of wanting to make the game safer, had limited the teams to one helmet. Now, if you go to college, uh, they wear... 20 helmets in a season. Mm -hmm. They'll get the new helmet at the beginning of the week. Uh, and they'll play in at the weekend. The NFL made it very clear that we are going to give you one helmet. It's going to be fit to your head to protect your brain in a very violent collision-based sport. Therefore, we can't have revisionist history and and retro uniforms because we, we can't have different-looking helmets. We can't have a different colored helmet um, because you're only wearing the one the entire year. Well, I don't know what's changed. Um, whether they feel the, the safety of the helmets have gotten better. I, I still, it doesn't matter what kind of helmet you get, your brain is inside your skull. So no matter what you have on the outside protecting it, when you have a concussion, that means when you hit the ground or hit something else, your brain inside your skull bangs against the inside of your skull. Unless you find something to protect your brain inside the skull, the concussions are still going to exist. All right. So um, they are going to uh, the fan-friendly, former um, historical uniforms. That means new helmets. So I, I don't quite understand what has changed, uh, whether the NFLPA, who's supposed to be uh, lobbying and advocating for the players, acquiesced to this, okayed this, but it's happening. And what, 22-23 is, is the season that it's going to be uh, instituted? And, of course, right off the bat, the NFL and all the social media platforms and the team platforms are popping up uh, their current star players in the throwback uniforms. Derrick Henry in the Houston Oilers uniform. Um, Russell Wilson in the uh, throwback Seahawks uniform. Uh, Tom Brady in the orange sickles. And that's our friend Bill Powell who answered the retro has to be the cream sickles, right, with Brady, oh, my God, straight <laughs> money, right? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it, it would look pretty, pretty good. If you remember correctly, years back when 
when Brady and the Patriots went back and did the throwback uniforms when the oh. red jerseys, the white pants, white helmets with the uh, Patriot uh, center over the ball. That was that was pretty cool. Yeah, that that was also coincidentally, or maybe synchronistically, however you think about it, that was arguably his best game, single game of his career that day too. He threw like six touchdowns or something. So he had 500 uh, plus in the, in the snow. snow. Titans, Titans, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. it was absolutely unnecessary. The uh, another one here, Eric Davidson. Love the retro Dallas Cowboys uniform with the white shoulders and the single star. Even though I hate the Cowboys, well, Eric, we appreciate you putting your differences aside for a good uniform. Um, the Creamsicles are definitely a favorite, and I, for me, Ryan, I think it comes the Creamsicles specifically comes down to what the Buccaneers were in 1976 when they, when the yucks, right. When they came in, lost 26 in a row, 23 in a row, I believe to start their franchise, turn it around. Oh, two, they get the, the first Super Bowl, And then of course, last year with Brady, but the uniforms and the Buccaneer and the, the color scheme on the helmet, I like a lot. Um, I do like the Patriots and uh, I do like the Oilers throwback. Um, I think what's interesting about the Oilers Titans though, is, the Oilers and Titans, although the same franchise-ish, are different teams. Uh, the 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 Buccaneers, the Patriots, um, the Eagles, the Jets, uh, the Giants, the Broncos. I mean, so many of the other teams. The same team with a different uniform scheme. I remember when the Buccaneers and the Broncos changed their uniforms uh, one season early 2000s, or was it 97 or something? And then Elway went on to win the two Super Bowls in the new uh, fresh uniforms, the dark blue with the orange slash down the, I thought that was so cool um, when they did that. And nowadays you have, it's just like college and you know, the ducks in here in town are really the prime example, but there's so many uniforms all the time. Right. It's almost like, and you mentioned your Steelers. Yeah. The Steelers have had one uniform ish, but they have the bumblebee ones as well that you see every once in a while, you know, but like the Packers, the bears, the Vikings, some of these, the Raiders, um, 49ers, for the most part, have not changed much through their entire uh, franchise history. So, Ryan, there's a lot to choose from. Um, actually, I like the one right behind you, to be honest with you, uh, the old school Chargers uh, with the bolt and kind of that college number like you have behind you, the baby blues, of course. Um, what's what's some of your favorite retro uh, uniforms all time? Um, Let's see here. I, I Houston Oilers. I, I just I like the Warren Moon Houston Oilers look. Earl with Campbell. That, with yeah, that baby, that baby blue and the white uh, with the red. I, I like those unis. Um, you know, you know, like the the Rams back in the day with the uh, you know the the Los Angeles Rams look, true look there. I think is is pretty pretty great. Um, I, I'm just a, you know, I've been a, I'm been a diehard Steelers fan my whole life, and they've never changed. The fact that they have the the logo on one side of the helmet, um, you know, the black and yellow, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's just, it's simple. Nothing changes for me. I love their road unis. I remember when we played them my final game in, in San Diego when they walked onto the field with the yellow pants and the white jerseys and that black helmet. Um, it's, it's pretty great. Um, pretty great uh, I, I i like it a lot that's awesome i uh i i got a i got a bunch of a bunch of favorites i guess but if i had to choose one i think it's going to be the cream school as well i agree with bill um but i also like the uh I, I like the old school patriots and then if if we're allowing it then uh i'll go with the the old school um oilers as well. I, i'd like i'd like to i'd like to that, that if i were if i were a journalist 
and Roger Goodell or Demora Smith is answering questions around this concept. I, I, uh, I want to ask that question. Why, why now? Are the helmets safer? I know that was the reason why we uh, stopped going to throwback uniforms because you wanted every player to wear the same helmet throughout the year because it was for safety reasons. I'd like to really, I'd like to know the answer as a former player, not as you know, a fan enjoying a bunch of different uniforms during the season, because as a fan, I love it. I love to see those types of things. Um, but as a former player uh, and a, a member of the union, I'd like to, I'd like to know, um, are you now putting players wellness in more of harm's way? So, all right, before we, uh, last question we had is Clayton Kershaw, a first team hall of famer. We had really one answer here from Eric Davidson. Uh, he said, yes, Kershaw is certainly a hall of famer. Hard to believe that an eight-time All-Star won't make the Hall of Fame. Um, All-Star games for me, you know, are kind of like Pro Bowls. Uh, it's um, it, there's a bit of a popularity contest in those things, so I'm not necessarily um, winning Cy Youngs, which he did, uh, dominate during the dominating during uh, the season. I. I look at the um, at the postseason and his struggles, and that could be an anchor of sorts. Winning the title last year, regardless of how much he was pretty good in the in the World Series last year and during the playoffs last year, it wasn't the same kind of Kershaw that we've seen in the playoffs. Though he's been asked to do a lot in the playoffs, he's been he's probably thrown on three days rest more than any other pitcher uh, because he was so dominant. And he was so good, and they needed to use him for the Dodgers to try to eke out and win a series. And your body just, when it's used to getting five days rest during the season, you ask to come back, you're going to have a little less. And these hitters are so good, especially around playoff time, if you're a little less than what you are, they're going to take advantage of it. Um, I think he's a first battle Hall of Famer. I think, uh, I think what he's been able to do for the Los Angeles Dodgers, and in particular if he stays with them for his entire career, I think it's a great fit for him. Yeah, three-time Cy Young Award winner, MVP. He's won over 20 games twice in his career, which, again, Ryan, we're talking about that's pitcher the, benchmarks. benchmarks you, don't, yeah. you don't see that now ever. Like, right. you, don't see, you don't see guys touch that ever anymore. Um, and he's done it, you know, twice earlier in his career. Um, he's only lost double-digit games uh, in one particular season. So when I think of first ballot Hall of Famer, and I think Dodgers pitchers, you immediately have to think Don Drysdale and, of course, Sandy Koufax. And, Ryan, I was curious. We were talking pre-show, and you're right. He only has 184 wins. I'm like, man, that's like just about half or, you know, whatever, 60% of that 300 benchmark. How close do you have to be? How many other Hall of Fame pitchers are in the Hall of Fame with less than 300 wins? And for lack, you know, <laughs> lack of a longer conversation, a lot. But a bunch of those guys are relief pitchers, Raleigh Fingers, um, you know, Dennis Eckersley, guys like that. Mariano Rivera. Mariano Rivera, thank you. I compared him to Sandy Koufax, right? We'll do apples to apples here. Dodgers pitcher and and Sandy Koufax and um, Clayton Kershaw. Sandy Koufax in uh, his Hall of Fame career, 165 wins. So less than Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw has 184. 165 wins for Sandy Koufax. 2,396 strikeouts. Kershaw has 184 wins, and he has 2,650 strikeouts. So Kershaw already has better numbers significantly, frankly, than Sandy Koufax did 
over his career. And he's got the Cy Youngs as well. So um, I disagreed with you quickly pre-show because I want to do a little more research. This quick stat here without doing any more, guaranteed first ballot Hall of Famer, absolutely. He's been special. He really has. He's been a, and it's been such a great community member here in the Los Angeles area. Um, it, I just I've watched him pitch twice this year. He made the Reds. I went to a Reds game earlier this year when they played the Reds. He made the Reds look foolish. And and again, um, yesterday he made he made my Cubs look like they were swatting at flies. Uh, they didn't they didn't know what they were getting from him. He was low in the zone. Had a great breaking ball. Uh, mixed it up. Just was. Like I said, 11 strikeouts out of the first 15 outs in the five innings that he pitched to start. Um, I looked up there and they had the K streak going. And it was 11 Ks through five innings. And I was just like, this this dude's dealing. I got to give him some respect. This is uh, been it's been fun to watch. I want to answer one more question we had from the show before we get out of here, Ryan. Last 300 game winner, Randy Johnson. He accomplished it with my San Francisco Giants back in the day. And uh, I did have. Let's see. Oh, I might have gotten rid of it now. Um, I did. Sorry. The closest to um, 300 wins is uh, Verlander. And I'll just say this. I forgot the number, but he's not close and he's not going to get it. So, is it in the 200s? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. High 200s. Um, but he's not he's not going to get he's not going to get three, 300. I'll bring it up for next show. But um, I would be shocked if anybody gets 300 wins again. It's just a different game. Well, I tell you what. I told David Ross yesterday if he needed a righty for three outs, I was ready for him. What, so, what are your uh, pitches, Ryan? What are your pitches? I threw a, I threw a, I threw a nasty curveball. I threw a, a fastball that moved pretty good, and and then I threw a, a palm changeup. That was Ooh, uh, circle change. My, That's my jam. Yeah. Yeah. That was my go-to. Um, if I would have gotten deeper into uh, the world of baseball, if I would have played really in college and stuff, I probably would have had to develop some other pitches, but. I had, a, I had a nasty breaking ball. It would, it, you know, it could, it would start high and, and break along the zone, make make a make a guy back out of there. And then my fastball really kind of moved up and in, which was great. It really, awesome. especially on righties. Um, and, that, and when you're in Montana, you didn't face many lefties for whatever reason. There wasn't <laughs> many lefties you faced. And so when you faced them, uh, that ball broke in uh, on their hands and a lot of ground balls and uh, and uh, um, easy outs for me. So, all right, everybody, thanks for. Uh, um, Thanks for being part of the RDL show today. We'll be back Wednesday. My brothers are in town. So maybe Jeffrey Leaf and Brady Leaf, former Oregon Duck quarterback, may make a little appearance. We have a golf game after the show that day. So maybe they'll make a little surprise appearance and say hi. From everybody here at the RDL show, thank you. We'll see you on Wednesday. Have a great couple days. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.